We begin today with a new segment, which I've kind of pretentiously dubbed Sky Speaks. Um, I reserve the right to change that at any time. During this new segment, my aim is to explain an experience or an observation that I've had during the week in either pop culture or in the church, and then hopefully draw an at least somewhat profound truth from it. I have this platform that you kind strangers turn into, tune into, so I figured why not use it to vent my latest frustration. Um, I get to write what's essentially a journal entry that'll help me hash out an annoyance, and then we all get to hopefully learn something helpful from my ramblings. Everybody wins. And then we'll transition to having Preston in here like usual, which I know is the reason you all stick around. Today's observation comes out of where the majority of the grief in my life spawns, an interaction with a stranger on social media. Some of you may have seen a post that I sent out on our socials last week. In the post, I talked about the troubling trend of church members criticizing our prophets whenever they discuss LGBTQ issues, as well as the tendency to avoid the doctrine on the family out of a fear of offending others. As with most posts, we got a few hecklers, which I always expect. Being openly gay and an outspoken member of the church often feels like walking through a field of spurs while wearing long, fuzzy socks. You attract spiking nuisances everywhere you go. But there was one comment in particular I wanted to draw attention to. And I don't say any of this to just rag on this individual. I know very little about her. But she embodies a growing trend in the church that I want to examine. This woman, who has a rather, rather large following, commented on our post asking for our age. Um, expecting to her to argue that you don't know anything because you're relatively young, I asked why she was wondering. Instead of responding to that, she said that she had looked us up on Google and then got to the meat of her argument against what I had posted. Boiled down, she just couldn't accept that my marriage or any other mixed orientation marriage is authentic and fulfilling, and she believed the principles of eternal families are actively harmful, not helpful to LGBTQ people. She brought up the typical argument of relating the doctrine of eternal families to policies like polygamy and the priesthood ban, and then made some rather tenuous claims about my marriage. Uh, quote, while I'd never wish divorce on anyone, I'd also never wish for someone to be in a romantically loveless marriage. Because I tell you that after a decade, when things get tough, you have no foundation to go back to. All I really hope is that your posts don't do irreparable damage to LGBTQ youth slash members who see them. Um, now, there's a lot of issues to those claims, namely the insistence that I don't love my wife, that sexual attraction trumps an emotional bond, and that it's the sexual and romantic component that will keep you grounded later in your marriage, the very time sexual desire starts to wane, I'll add. She also has no idea that we have already been through those moments when things get tough, including losing our son and dealing with infertility issues, 
And those moments have only brought us closer as a couple. But I only have so much time, so I'll continue. When I called her to the mat for asserting these things about my marriage that she could never actually know, she backtracked, insisting that she was just speaking more broadly. But it was clear from another comment in a different thread where someone else had shared my post that she was indeed including me in her assessment. Quote, I feel so, so sad for the wife too. Imagine thinking that no one could possibly love you romantically, so you marry someone who loves you platonically, and then brags about it. I hope that's not the case, but it would be so sad if it were. Now, I can assure you it's not the case, but why do I bring up this social media scuffle? While it may seem petty and inconsequential, the majority of our communication now happens online. As such, much if not most missionary work also happens online. What's more, the rising generation who are too often raised by social media instead of just with it encounter many members of the church like the social media influencer. Not only do these impressionable teens have to grapple with outsiders who call us culty and strange, but they also witness fellow members of the church not just voicing their doubts, but actively despising our doctrine. We all have doubts we're wrestling with, valid questions we're asking, but this member doesn't seem to be wrestling with her faith. Instead, she's come to a rather resolute decision that fundamental principles of the gospel are actively damaging to a group of people. Um, I wasn't surprised when I received this comment or her argument. I have an unfortunate amount of experience dealing with anyone from trolls to honest critics, and I've had nearly every accusation, assertion, and attacked lob my way, both from non-members and members alike. But these things should surprise us, or at the very least, they should create some sort of negative response in us. Left unchallenged, evil ideas become emboldened, gospel truths become obscured, and then hated. When fellow members of the church are actively fighting against the framework of the church, we should embrace that natural pit that develops in our stomachs. We should call a spade a spade, as it were, and instead of a butterfly. And then if the opportunity presents itself, we should feel emboldened to challenge the narrative. And it's not out of spite, not out of some immature need to be right, but because our children are observing. They see how we respond to evil, and if we treat it like something to ignore, or even worse, to celebrate, they will enact that same pattern in their lives. Never before has good been labeled so evil, and evil been labeled so good. We can and should do everything that we can to avoid unnecessary division, but we can't afford to confuse the need to conform with the call to unite. We're commanded by God to unite around Christ, not around our culture's latest attempt to imitate Christ. I ended the conversation with this woman rather quickly after realizing her motive was to just paint the picture of my life for me. But if I had continued, there were a few things that I would have wanted to make clear. Um, first, I wish she could understand 
the paralyzing effect her message has on LGBTQ Latter-day Saints who actually want to live the gospel. If we believe the doctrine on eternal families is bound to change, why would we pursue anything but a same-sex relationship? And when we do so and the doctrine inevitably doesn't change, we'll look back and realize we've sold our birthright for a rather soggy mess of pottage. Secondly, her observation that many mixed orientation marriages fail isn't the condemnation of these marriages that she thinks it is. The divorce rate for man-woman marriages is ever increasing, but aside from a few radicals, we don't really hear these marriages under condemnation. Yes, there are different dynamics between mixed orientation marriages and traditional ones, but the quality the qualities that make any marriage work apply to mixed, orienta mixed orientation marriages as well. Things like open communication, dedication, and selflessness. My marriage and the mixed orientation marriages of my friends thrive because they're based around our faith in God and complemented by these basic relationship principles. Finally, um, while it's anecdotal, the mixed orientation marriages I've encountered that actually have been loveless or ended in divorce are almost universally the ones where either one or both of the spouses adopt the, ver the very ideas that this com commenter um, apparently promotes. Moral relativism wrongly gives moral authority to each individual and takes it away from God. Having that authority empowers individuals to put their own self-interests above God's will for them, inevitably making things harder for them, not easier. This makes it easier to be selfish instead of selfless. It makes it more likely you'll close off instead of opening up. It ensures you're distracted by your own self-interest instead of dedicated to your spouse. Not to mention the natural progression of adopting moral relativism is devaluing the objective truth God has promised will make us better and happier. Recognizing this, it's no wonder that adopting these ideologies makes marriage so difficult. This influencer wasn't the first to question the validity of my marriage, and she won't be the last. She's also not the first church member to fight against church doctrine, Christ's doctrine, and she won't be the last. While the frequency of this phenomenon will likely increase, we can't let, the fact, let that fact numb us to just how damaging it is. We can't let our apathy teach our children that evil is merely a difference of opinion. Objective evil and truth exists. And it's our job to point it, look at it in the face, and clearly point it out to especially the most impressionable among us. Children may fight against authority, but they actually crave that structure. Studies show that children are mentally healthier when they have clear rules that are strictly but kindly enforced. Mirroring that practice in a religious setting, they'll likely do much better when they clearly understand the difference between good and evil and what's expected of them. I had another gay member of the church message us this week. He was concerned about that same post. He was kind in his criticism, uh, but he felt that our messaging was overly harsh. 
And I have sympathy for this idea in principle. I'm the first to call out unkindness from members, but he wasn't saying that we were being unkind. He was saying that the very proclamation of gospel truth is unkind in and of itself. In arguing against our point that avoiding doctrine to spare feelings isn't without consequences, he demonstrated the very thing we were arguing against. Like the influencer I mentioned earlier, he's brought into, bought into the narrative that it's better to tailor the gospel around the comfort levels of each individual rather than using the gospel to shape us despite the fact that it is painful sometimes. Now, Preston and I aren't perfect and our methods aren't either. I'm fully willing to admit that we could be more graceful at times, but when we get to the point when the very act of declaring the doctrine, no matter how kindly, is seen as aggressive and unkind, we've lost our way as a church. Seeking unity is good, but only when it's centered around truth. Kindness without truth isn't kindness at all. It's superficial niceness in the pursuit of unification around immorality, which kind of sounds like something you'd see on a cheap motivational poster with a bad stock photo, but it isn't any less true. Now let's get Preston in here. Okay, welcome everyone to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that new opener, a new opening segment. It's a little bit different. If you didn't like it, I'll probably still end up continuing to do it because <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. It's kind of like a good way to, for me to air out some grievances I've had and just like you, you have no idea because I recorded it before you got here. So you yeah. have no context. But uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know. Um, if, I'm just here. If not, I'm just here for this part. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, today. We're going to talk about general conference a little bit, give like a, a little recap and then, um, yeah, just like some talks that we found some principles in that we resonated with. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the for strength of youth pamphlet changed. Yeah. So we'll talk about just what we've seen the reaction be online and, and kind of some, maybe some misinterpretations of why it changed or what it means mm-hmm. because it changed. So Yeah. That's what we'll be talking. That's what we'll be talking about today. Yeah. First general conference highlight for me was Sister Yi. This was in the Saturday afternoon session, the second session of general conference. Before you do that, I want to just remind people to buy your book. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hi. I wrote a book. Yeah. Go go buy Preston's book. Sorry to interrupt you, but I think it's important that people remember that you wrote a book and it was very good and you can listen to it or you can read it on Kindle or paperback. Anyway, Mm -hmm. back over to you. (laughs) And it's great. And thank you to everybody who has already done that. Yeah. It's also great to hear feedback. So, yeah, I'm sure. General Conference, Sister Yi, second session, so good. She talked about forgiveness. This is one of my top three favorites from this past General Conference. I could relate to it a lot. Um, But she just told the story of how, like, she had a pretty rough and somewhat abusive father and how that was a source of resentment and anger for a long time. And then a few years ago, she said her dad started to turn a leaf and um, seek restitution and and whatnot, and how she found healing in Christ. Um, and she likened it all to the 
story in the Old Testament about Abigail um, seeking restitution on behalf of her husband to King David. Um, and anyway, it was just a really great, beautiful metaphor, lots of beautiful uh, personal examples as well from her own life. And she just did a fantastic job. I just loved that one. It's not super relevant to what we'll talk about for the rest of the episode. That's why we're talking about this one first is because it's just really, really good. But that's kind of it. And then we'll move on to other topics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was kind of just one that we like wanted to throw Shout in there. <laughs> yeah, yes. so good. Not very related, but obviously still good. Yes. So second one is related. Uh, the second one for my top three was Elder Bednar's uh, talk. I loved his talk because I love the parables. And so he highlighted a parable that it, I totally forgot about. I, I mean, I've studied parables before in my own personal study and I overlooked this one in my own personal study. So it was fun to hear an apostle talk about this one in depth and provide insight into like what it means and whatnot. And parables, if for those of you that don't know, are meant to mask the meaning. Like it's not supposed to be overtly obvious what the parable is about. Um, it's supposed to be a symbolic um, and shield the meaning from people who don't have faith so that they're not responsible for the knowledge. Um, but I loved it. And again, it's relevant. It's related to the parables of the workers in the vineyard and the parable of the 10 virgins. It talks about how many will be invited to participate in the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ and how some won't be ready, some will ignore, and some will show up and be in rebellion. And so it, it was just fascinating. I'm yeah. kind of rambling, but it was just fascinating and relevant because we're literally seeing it play out right now. I That was a parable that I knew very little about. And I, I need to go back and listen to that one because that was one of those where my family was being kind of loud when it was going and I haven't <laughs> gone back and listened to it. So. And it's dense. Yeah, like that's one that you have to like... I've listened to it multiple times because, it, it, yeah, the first go around, you're like, wait, what? Yeah. And then the second go around, you're like... Well, Wait, what? <laughs> and the third girl might be like, this is awesome. <laughs> so yeah, at least three for that one. At least three. Okay. And I highly recommend for those of you that can go, go to the temple and think about it too. Because it, Taryn and I went last week to specifically with this conference talk in mind, thinking about it. It was pretty cool. Neat. But again, just a call and a reminder that we have everything we need uh, to be successful in the gospel context. Mm -hmm. um, that... When the Savior comes, all will have been invited, and it's up to us to decide how that plays out, like how that turns out when Christ comes again. Yeah. Are we going to be ready and wearing our temple garment or, or the wedding garment? Again, there's lots of metaphors for it, but yeah, really cool. Well, I um, President Nelson's, I, I thought was very good, and it kind of, there, there seemed to be, he seemed to to discuss a general theme that I noticed more than once throughout conference. And that was prioritizing God over the world and like mm -hmm. overcoming the rising above this fallen world. He used that, um, that sort of wording. Um, yeah. Caring about, caring about the things of God more than this world. I'll just read a quote here. Dear brothers and sisters, my message to you today is that because Jesus Christ overcame this fallen world and because he atoned for each of us, you too can overcome this sin-saturated, self-centered, and often exhausting world. Preach. 
Um, I just really like that because I've seen a lot of uh, I've seen a lot of talk recently, a lot a lot of criticism about the teaching in the the church or like the 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 focus in the church of drawing distinctions between the world and God. Mm-hmm. Um, and the critique is something like when you when you do that, like when you call the world evil, you are dividing us unnecessarily. We talked about mm-hmm. in a previous episode, like the purpose and the necessity for um, some sort of division, not between us as people, but like between good and evil, good and evil. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's important to call out evil for what it is and avoid unnecessary division, but there's going to be an inevitable division and like that's to be expected. And we don't need to, I said something about this in my, in my opening, uh, we don't need to have like this un like unholy need to conform and confuse that with the call to unite because we're, we're supposed to unite around truth, like around Christ. And if we're not doing that, it's more of a conformity. Um, and I, I just think that distinction is important. And I liked how direct President Nelson was mm-hmm. about that. Yep. And again, so relevant to the things that we talked about on this podcast, but it also just relevant to our day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it just weighs on you how wicked the world can be. And <laughs> it's just reassuring to hear that counsel from our prophet, mm-hmm. specifically that quote that you read. Yeah. And um, you have one more Elder Renlund's, which yeah. is going to kind of lead us into the main topic today, which is the the change in the FSY pamphlet and mm-hmm. implications and interpretations and all that good stuff. So. Yeah. When I don't think it was coincidence that President or, or Elder Uchtdorf talked about the changes in the pamphlet. And then like a few speakers later, Elder Renlund talked about receiving revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely think that that was uh, that proximity. Those two talks in the program were divinely inspired because Elder Renlund's whole focus was what is revelation? And more importantly, what are we entitled to receive revelation about? Um, and then he gave examples of what we won't receive it about as well. So I just found his talk extremely relevant in light of the First Strength of Youth pamphlet changing. Um, where so much of that yields responsibility to us as individuals to prayerfully decide by the Spirit what we'll do in certain situations. Um, he talks about, again, what you'll receive revelation about and when and what for. So he gave a few examples. He talked about how you will only ever receive revelation within your circle of influence and responsibility. Um, for example, you will not receive revelation for the church because you are not in a responsibility, you don't hold an office or a responsibility to receive that kind of revelation. And therefore, if you re- you think you're under the impression, you have some self-impression that you have received revelation for the church body as a whole, you're an heir. Like, that's what he said. You can know that that is not of God uh, because that's outside of your purview. Um, and so he gave a few, like, specific story examples of people receiving revelation outside of their purview. Um, And he talked about specifically too, that the Holy ghost is not going to inspire you to break a commandment and especially not to break a covenant. Um, That again, if you feel like you're inspired to break a commandment or covenant, 
uh, that is not an impression coming from the Holy Ghost, as something coming from a false spirit. And so, anyway, I just felt, uh, I mean, that's kind of the gist of his story or of his talk, but I felt like it was super relevant to what we'll be talking about for the rest of this episode. But also, it just was personally relevant to me. I, I, and where I'm at in my life because of personal revelation. And it always has to be in line with the teachings of the prophets, the scriptures, and whether I like it or not. Again, I've received plenty of personal revelation that was chastening and schooling and put me in my place because I was in the wrong Mm -hmm. and needed to recalibrate. So, yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's very related to kind of some of the, the trends that we've seen since the change of the pamphlet. Um, There's been a lot of dialogue about, because if you're, if you're not aware that the changes in the pamphlet, essentially it has become like more succinct and principle based rather than um, listing out specifics. Yeah. And it's very focused on Jesus Christ. Like one of the top uh, like main phrases that, stood out to me in the preface to this new pamphlet is it says that Jesus Christ is the strength for youth. And so the, this pamphlet is very Christ focused and therefore the principles are center around him. Um, as opposed to the previous format, which was very like topic based and then do's and don'ts for each topic. Um, so this quote comes from the new pamphlet it says the purpose of, for the strength of youth is not to give you a yes or no about every possible choice you might face. Instead, the Lord is inviting you to live a higher and holier way, his way. Yeah, and I I like that distinction. And it brings up, I think, an important conversation about like the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of misunderstanding regarding the letter versus the spirit of the law. On, I'd, say, I'd say on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, the like the purpose of a, a, having the spirit of the law is you have like a genuine desire to understand the purpose of the law, mm-hmm. which will instill in you a greater desire to live that law. Um, and then the letter of the law is looking at more of just like a checklist of things that you need to do. So I have a, like a good example um, I have a friend who has told me a story about, um, about his mission and he had a companion who was very much more letter of the law. Um, and so they're at dinner with a, a member of the church who was really struggling. Mm-hmm. And this member opened up to my friend and, and his companion and was like confiding in them um, and it was near the end of their the hour mark. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a mission rule that you're not supposed to spend more than an hour with yeah. members when you're having meals. Together. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the the my friend's companion had that in mind, and even though they're kind of at like the the meat of the this member confiding, and they didn't have any appointments afterward, um, the companion just kind of cut it short and was like, oh, "We we need to go." Um, and they left. <laughs> and my friend was really kind of upset about that because they they would have been like they would have been able to do more good staying with that member a little bit longer and helping them with what they were struggling with. Mm-hmm. Because if you understand the the spirit of the law of the the one hour for dinner, that is like the purpose of that 
one of the purposes is so that you can get out and help more people. Mm-hmm. But they already had an opportunity presented for them to help that individual. But instead of understanding the spirit of the law, the companion focused on the letter of the law and ended it and was not able to help that member as much as they could. And for what? Right. For nothing scheduled for the rest of the day. Again, it's like uh, who you're running off to go. Yeah. Help. Yeah. So that's kind of a difference of like how that might apply. And related to the For Strength of Youth, Youth pamphlet changing, I think a lot of people are treating it in a similar way that the honor code change fiasco was was looked at by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. They took the like reorder like removing a certain aspect. They took that um, and, and like it was handled. I'm not saying that BYU administration administration handled it perfectly well. I think there was some some missed opportunities or some things they could have done better, but. A lot of people took that as, okay, now BYU is saying that gay students can date. And by extension, like maybe the church is saying that and maybe the church is going to move in that direction. Mm -hmm. They took the idea of um, like not needing to be commanded in all things and kind of flipped it on its head. And because something wasn't explicitly laid out, they took that as permission. Permission. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly, and we're seeing it. Like Sky just pointed out, we're seeing a similar response online in social media circles uh, to the changes in the First Strength of Youth pamphlet because it's no longer structured as a do and don't list on various topics. Many people have said, "Oh, cool, then it's okay now." Like it's permission to go do all the things that I was previously told not to do, um, and it, yeah. And I'm just like, "Did you read the new pamphlet?" Because, ah, <laughs> that's. <laughs> Yeah. Really what it's doing is it's like putting the trust more on us and giving us an opportunity to gain that trust mm-hmm. um, from God and and tr- like within ourselves as well. And a lot of people are missing that opportunity and again, taking it as free reign to do all the things that the pamphlet previously said to avoid. Like it's it's mm-hmm. completely missing the point um, and the opportunity to gain trust with God and, and yeah, it, it's just like completely missing the point. Yep. But as just like an example of, of this idea that I ran across on social media um, of kind of confusing the spirit and the letter of the law, because with, with the spirit of the law, like you were saying earlier, God will never command you or not command you. God will never um, what's the word I'm looking for? Give you revelation to disobey a commandment or break a covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, like Elder Renlund talked about that. Mm-hmm. So I just I ran across a a post. Um, and it was about a transgender individual in the church who was considering considering transitioning their gender and recognizing that that would um. I, I, I can't remember if it was a she or he. I'm just going to say he. <laughs> but I, I he was considering um, transitioning and realizing that that would disqualify him from receiving a temple recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just going to read a little bit. Uh, let's see. I was guided. I was being guided to save souls on this side of the veil. God expressed to me that there are plenty of members doing temple work to save the souls of our dead, but that I am on an earthly mission to 
work with the living. God asked me to give up a piece of paper saying I am worthy to in order to serve a mission on this side of the veil. So ultimately, oh, yeah, this person <laughs> decided to transition knowing that that would disqualify them for a temple recommend. Um, and like, I don't know this individual. I don't have any animus toward this in- individual. Um, but my blood does kind of boil because of the principle or like mm-hmm. because of the justification of kind of triv- trivializing having a temple recommend and and being worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, these are not things to take lightly or like things that God will um, will tell you to like God will never tell you to to break a covenant. Well, like, and one of the pr- like purposes of a prophet the reason we have a mouthpiece for Jesus Christ here on earth is they help reestablish priorities. Mm -hmm. When a a culture or people start to drift from God's word, their responsibility is to recenter us, recalibrate. Um, And president Nelson talks about the temple, every general conference. And so for somebody to say, well, God told me I don't need to prioritize the temple. It's like, um, that's in direct opposition to what, the prophet has said should be our focus. So again, when we have maybe some clashing ideas in our head, uh, we that's why we need to refer back to what the prophet says, because he helps us establish those priorities of, I'm glad you want to help people on this side of the veil, uh, but the prophet has said what our priorities should be. Mm-hmm. And we need to make sure that we're recalibrating yeah. Uh, off that measuring stick, not again whatever preconceived and personal impl- uh, personal impressions that we have. Yeah, and again, like this has nothing to do with the individual. Oh, I don't even know this person's name. I don't, yeah, like, I'm more talking about the it's ideas m- here. More the ideas, and again, I don't hate this person. I I think having gender dysphoria sounds like a really hard thing to grapple with, and I'm not judging the individual's heart at all. Um, but I do just worry about the potential harm that this message will give to impressionable members of the church who are going to mm-hmm. see things like this and and see kind of the trivialization of keeping covenants and treating that lightly and as something that can change from person to person. Mm-hmm. And again, this haughtiness uh, in saying, like, I'm going to do something more holy and better than what God has established as being holy and better. Like, again, I'm, I hear that and I'm like, what the, like the priorities are so off there that there's so much arrogance behind that to be like, I know better than God for myself. And it's like, Ooh, that's, that is, I know from personal experience and many, uh, personal pitfallings, if that's a word, (laughs) uh, that, yeah, that, that's dangerous territory to be in. Yeah, no matter the context, like you, we see mm-hmm. this language a lot of people saying, or, well, God told me X, Y, Z, and I know that it doesn't align with the commandments, but again, I'm the exception, and it just kind of so happens that the revelation I received goes in line with my, my self-interest, yeah. and it's, it's a dangerous place to be and a dangerous message to send to young people, yeah, especially young people. Yep. Which again is why anytime, like Elder Renlin said, we are seeking personal revelation, we hold it against the measuring stick of the scriptures, the pro- teachings of the prophet, um, and seek for that confirmation from the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. 
there's there's kind of another example um uh, i mentioned uh, another thing i mentioned in the opener um i had a another gay member of the church reach out to us to me this this week and um he was concerned about um the post that i put out and um felt like it was kind of harsh um but anyway i he he was relating the an experience of when elder holland gave his talk that um, upset a lot of people and he used the the phrase musket fire mm-hmm. um he was talking about how he received um, a revelation that it was okay to be hurt by those words and i think that's that's true like i i think that you could receive that from god god could comfort you and say it's okay to be hurt that's like of course that could happen but then um, his interpretation of that was that elder holland was wrong in what he said Mm. where there's like it can be both like elder holland um i don't think was wrong to say what he what he did that's an analogy that has been used time and again um and it's like again like it's okay if you are upset by something that someone said that doesn't mean that what they said was wrong like Mm -hmm. maybe you need to do some self-reflection and and decide why did that hurt me or why did that create such a reaction within me? Yeah. And oh, I've run into that several times just within the last five years of misinterpreting a personal revelation. Like I will hear uh, or, or get a specific idea that I know is revelation and then I will run for it with it and fill in a bunch of blanks myself. And I get into so much trouble doing that <laughs> uh, because I made an assumption uh, about a revelation I mean, most recently it was about school and career and whatnot. And I heard one thing and ran with it in one direction. And it took months to recorrect some very bad thought processes about the topic because I made assumptions. And I was firmly rebuked by the spirit about six months later because I made a bunch of false assumptions of like, no, you did not understand me and you didn't try to understand. You ran with it and... Yeah, I was like, so I mean, I hear this story of like this person receiving that initial revelation, which again, that sounds true. Like that sounds right. That sits well of like, yeah, it's okay to be hurt. There's a but to that. There's a very big but attached to that. (laughs) And uh, sounds like a lot of misinterpreting happened after the but. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I've been there. I have done that before. And yeah. And And, And I feel like people forget that like, Yes, reproving hurts. Truth sometimes hurts. The wicked take the truth to be hard, as Nephi said in the Book of Mormon to his very wicked brothers who were constantly whining about the truth. Yeah, it's going to sting when you're not living it. Um, which again, like to your point, Sky, again, that should re- that should lead us to some self-reflection and some repentance and turning our thoughts and minds and hearts to God. And seeking that re- like repentance from him uh, or that forgiveness for what needs to change in our lives. Uh, so there's a quote from the new For Strength of Youth pamphlet that I, I feel like complements this really well. It says, living with integrity means that you love truth with all your heart more than you love personal comfort, popularity, or convenience. It means doing what is right simply because it is right. And I feel like that's, again, really relevant to what we're talking about. It's like integrity is know what's truth, whether I like it or not, and and loving truth more than self. 
Yeah, that's that's a, another thing that I run across quite a bit on online is the discussion between like personal authority and God's authority mm-hmm. um, and how important it is to know the difference. A lot of people take the idea of self-authority too far to where they they believe that because they feel good about something or like they misinterpret feeling good with having a spiritual confirmation. Mm-hmm. Those things are different. Yeah, those are very different. And it can lead you to a lot of heartache and a lot of, like you were saying earlier, kind of a misinterpretation of what the revelation actually was. If you kind of just take it and run with it and then say, no, I'll, I'll use my personal authority to do X, Y, or Z, even though technically it goes against like the, the teachings of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, and in the example that I gave for my own personal life, I, I didn't ask any follow-up. I heard what I heard and I pitched a fit. And again, it was related to school and career and I didn't want to hear anything about it. <laughs> I, I wanted things to stay as they were. And I heard something from the Lord that I was like, I don't want to hear that. And I ran with it in one direction. And six months later, when I finally realized, wait a minute, I'm going in the wrong direction with my thoughts about this. And the spirit was very reproving. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you did. And you messed up. <laughs> like, Come back to where we what I said last time about this and we can work from there again. Like I had to totally start over thinking about it. Cause I, again, this is super personal. It's kind of vague, but whatever. I don't care to like hash <laughs> it out here, but it was related to school. No, we want to know work. the specifics, Preston. The specifics. Give us the dirty Basically details. school is a <laughs> soft spot for me. I, yeah. Source of stress for years. Sound like you're going into like a Disney song, like a, like a, Disney musical. No, that was nerves in my voice. No, I'm just kidding. But no, it's just, again, loving truth more than self. Yeah. Uh, And I feel like sometimes we want to be comfy and we want to be popular or or conform to what is popular. Or or we just want something convenient. We don't want our routine messed up. We don't want our thought processes messed up. And when something challenges us in that, we stop engaging with it. And it's like, ah, like, no, God is reproving sometimes. Like he needs to correct us in a lot of things. So That kind of going back to conference, that kind of relates to what Elder Christofferson was talking about. Mm -hmm. He discussed hardship a lot and what like the proper context for hardship and the cultural trend to look at any sort of hardship as either an oppression Mm -hmm. or um, something that is like inherently wrong and needs to be fixed right this second like we we look at hardship as um in reality hardships are part of life Mm -hmm. and like it's not um it's it's natural to want to come out of hardship Mm -hmm. of course but it's not something that we need to hurry through like or just get through i don't know yeah there are things to wish away yeah like we we believe that while we shouldn't seek for hardship when hardship comes, we should find purpose in Christ through that hardship um, and not not wish it away. And just because you're experiencing something hard, that doesn't mean that you're being put upon or oppressed in some way. Mm -hmm. It just means that life is difficult. There may be something or someone that's in your way and Mm -hmm. and like we can address that and talk about it, but it's not a 
surefire rule that if you're going through something hard, it's somebody else's fault or yeah. like you need vengeance or something. Yeah. Or that somebody else was wrong um, for sharing a truth because, yeah, you're going through a hard time with it. Um, I want to circle back to something that you said, Sky, though, that sometimes it does feel good to do something wrong and sometimes it does feel bad to do something good. And so many people interpret that. They, they misinterpret that. Um, and I would just, if anybody listening struggles with that question or that dilemma of why does doing bad sometimes feel good and why does doing good sometimes feel bad, um, I would encourage you to read Second Nephi chapter 2. Um, God does not expect us to rely on our feelings to determine whether or not something is good or bad. Uh, he he expects us to listen to his prophets who establish his laws so that we know what is good or bad. Um, and several prophets have taught us how to differentiate those things. Another great chapter is Moroni chapter 7, um, particularly the first half of the chapter. Again, feelings are not always trustworthy. That That cannot be the measuring stick for whether or not something is good or bad. The law is what determines what is good or bad. God's laws determine what is good or bad. Uh, anyway, so yeah, if you want to go dive into that topic more, those are a couple chapters to dive into that more. I think that's important because uh, there's a lot of talk in the church about how the spirit speaks to us through impressions and through feelings. Um, and like, th while that may be true, it, it is a difference. Like receiving a prompting from the spirit is... Clo closer related to feeling a connection to your spirit and like feeling God speaking to your spirit in more of like a metaphysical sense. It's it's more than just like a a good feeling that you would get while um, eating something that tastes good or being mm -hmm. at a good concert or or to that point. It's more than satisfying an appetite. Because uh, you just referenced several different kinds of appetites. And too many people satisfy an appetite and they're like, oh, that must have been divine. And it's like, um, no, we're taught some of our appetites are not inherently good in this in this world. That we'll want things that are not always good for us. Which is why feelings cannot be the measuring, the sole measuring stick about whether or not something is good or bad. Yeah. And that's part of why we have the scriptures and prophets. Is they establish God's law. They reiterate. They repeat. They repeat, they repeat, so that we know. We know what is good or bad, regardless of how we feel. And when it lines up, hallelujah, what a glorious experience it is when bad feels bad and good feels good. But most of us know by this time in our life that that's not always true. Um, and therefore, that's not what determines whether something is good or bad. Mm -hmm. Truth is what will determine that. And that's why, again, I loved that that paragraph from the new strength of youth pamphlet integrity is living to the truth you know regardless of how you feel about it yeah okay i'm done sorry <laughs> I, I just ooh, i was kind of ranty on that one sorry no <laughs> be ranty that's good um i guess like circling back a little bit earlier we were talking about um like trust and how the this is like a good opportunity for us and I guess especially the, the youth to learn how to develop trust within themselves and with God and with their leaders and parents, mm -hmm. how it's not like spelled out for you as much, mm -hmm. um, but it just gives you an opportunity to develop trust and integrity, like you were saying. 
Um, it it just reminds me. There's a a show that I've been watching recently that I really like called The Goldbergs, and it's um, obviously can't can't like put a stamp of approval on on everything and like all the morality of it because it's a TV show. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of good lessons that that I learned from it. It's it's just about this family growing up in the 80s, and the filmmaker um, is recounting his childhood. So it's like very personalized and and he'll include at the end of an episode, he'll include like some real family video footage hmm. of what he was recounting in that episode. So it's really cool. Um, but he, I, I haven't seen this. So the, yeah, Sky was telling me a little bit about it in prep. So this is interesting. It's really funny to me because it's it's like a very um, overbearing um, family. The parents are very like protective and. Um, there's a lot of fighting that happens, but at the end of the episode, they like come together and realize that they love each other. And it's just very real in, in, in that way. But there's one episode in particular about trust and how the dynamics between the mother and the daughter. So the, the mother is very overbearing and is like spying on the daughter, being on the other end of the phone, listening in and like listening through the vents. This sounds like and, a sitcom. I can see yeah. it in my mind. <laughs> Reading her journal, things like that. So the daughter doesn't feel trusted and she confronts the mom and, and says, I need you to trust me. And so the, the mom says, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll like do my best to trust you. Um, but the, the daughter kind of sets up a trap where in her journal... Um, she writes something about how she's going to try crack. <laughs> she's going to try drugs. <laughs> and so obviously the mother reads it and the child gets home from school and the mom is like giving a lecture on drugs. And it, it comes out that obviously she read her journal and then the daughter explains that that was just a trap that she, she set. And now I know that I can't trust you. Um, so then the mother like decides again, OK, I will actually try and trust you now. Um, immediately after that though, the, um, the, the mom had noticed in the journal something, she was talking about something about a party, like a toga party or something. And she noticed that her daughter's sheets were missing. Um, and so it turns out that the daughter, um, lied about where she was going that night and went to the party instead. Mm -hmm. So the, the parents go and confront the, the daughter at the party so now the 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 daughter, um, it's 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 like clear that the daughter can't be trusted either. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like a back and forth of them proving to the other that they can't be trusted, but both wanting trust from the other individual. Mm-hmm. Eventually, obviously, they come together and and realize like that they both need to work to gain the other's trust, mm-hmm. and they come to some sort of understanding. And it ends happily ever after, that sort of thing. But it just is like a good good lesson to me about trust and how like the onus is on us to gain trust in others. And like it's an opportunity. We're presented with opportunities to to prove our prove that we can be trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this this like this new change, excuse me, in the FSY pamphlet is just another opportunity for our teens to practice trust and like being trustworthy because it's not spelled out for them quite as much and it is more principle based. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in where, like what the church did and mm-hmm. the changes that they made and 
Well, and one of the other things in the preface to it, another quote, it says, um, he, Christ, knows you can make a difference in the world. And that requires, in many cases, being different from the world. So again, it's not like a total um, redaction of all these rules. It's, mm -hmm. again, a call to rise up and become trustworthy disciples of Jesus Christ. Like, Yeah, if, if anything, it's like more responsibility, putting yeah. more... No, I agree. In the same way that Come Follow Me was several years ago, when they cut a whole hour of instruction at church and said, no, this belongs in the home with individuals and families. And it was very, I don't know. I'm just like, it's very interesting to watch how certain responsibilities are being put back on the individuals and families. And again, the divide between the world and the disciples of Jesus Christ is just becoming more and more obvious. Like there's, there's less things to hide behind. Or I don't know if that's the right word. Like, I don't know. It's just, I, I feel like the way some people have responded to this change is a good indication of where their hearts are at, wh where their relationship with God is at. Again, it's just really obvious. I don't know. It's becoming more and more obvious when things like this happen. Very, very um, wheat and tear sifty. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which again is why Elder Bednarz was so fascinating to me because again it was and that's another parable that is similar to the one that he highlighted is yeah the siftings it's eminent and it's becoming more and more obvious again why that parable that sky just mentioned is so uh poignant is because wheat and tares look very similar in adolescence when they're growing um it's only when they're fully grown that you can distinguish clearly between a wheat and a tear um, and that's why they were only separated at harvest as uh, because the the master of that field didn't want to uproot any wheat prematurely. So he said, nope, let them grow together. And when it's harvest time, it'll be really obvious which is a wheat and which is a tear. And I loved what President Nelson said. Disciples of Jesus Christ know how to dress. They know how to groom themselves. They know how to talk. They know how to behave. And that should then lead us to reflect and seek and read and figure out what that means for us. Mm -hmm. How can we make a difference in the world and be different from it and not conform to a bunch of customs that will change in a decade? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like, the, like we've talked about before, it's a moving target, but yeah. Yeah. Well, do I don't, do you have anything else to add here? Um, I think that's it. I had more quotes from the pamphlet, but I would just commend anybody listening to go read it. It's very short. Uh, like it, even taking notes and whatnot, it took me like an hour and a half, almost two hours. So it, it's not that long of a pamphlet. It's very, um, uh, crisp, like mm -hmm. succinct. Yeah. And, and I really like the format of it too. It, it does like a principal overview, uh, promised blessings or, or invitation to act promised blessings, uh, any questions people might have about the topics. And then at the very bottom, it's like what temple recommend questions are relevant to those topics. Again, pointing so, the, the youth to the temple. Yeah. And yeah. to Christ. Yeah. Again, it's very, very Christ focused. Christ is the strength for youth. Yeah. I love that. Like, I'm sure we're going to see that uh, verbiage a lot moving forward because mm -hmm. it's true. And again, it's just a more focused and pointed way of making that obvious that we're disciples of Jesus Christ. That's one of the core tenets of our identity. Yeah. Great. 
Well, um, the end. end. (laughs) If if you haven't already, follow us on social media. Um, Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or um, subscribe and like the video on YouTube. Whatever whatever you can do to to help spread the word or leave us a a written review or anything like that, it, it really helps with like the algorithm to be able to reach more people and to promote our message. So we would really appreciate anything that you could do in that regard. And other than that, we'll uh, see you in the next one. Bye.